You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. That was football nirvana. Every single game coming down to the very last play. Some games better than others, some quarterbacks more perfect than others, some defenses more effective than others, but every single game down to the last second and plenty to discuss today on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Fitz, let's just start by thanking the football gods for what we got this weekend. How unbelievable was that set of games? Do I get, like, I get to go total, like, overstatement now, but I just, yeah. I sat there almost emotional Sunday night as the last <laughs> game came to an end. And I looked at it and I said, that was the best weekend of football I've ever seen in my life. Just the number of moments that I sat and again like for me not having any dog in the fight just to watch it and feel the roller coaster of emotions I can't imagine the highs and lows for the winners and losers in all four games to all come down to the last play of the game for every single one of them it was like this great moment where you forgot about the trash that we saw last week and this week you were reminded that the NFL when it is at its best is better than anything Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned not having a dog in the fight so you could sit back and relax. I felt sick in almost every game without caring really who won any of them. Like, there was, I I, I will admit that maybe I was a little bit more interested in the Niners winning that game. And I've got a great uh, friend who's a huge Bills fan, so I was kind of wanting the Bills to pull that one out. But none of them were my team or even close to having a rooting interest, and I kind of still felt like I was going to puke just because the stakes were so high at every single game. Well, and, and I'll be honest, like, obviously I have a lot of love for Nashville, so the Titans were an interesting one for me because I have a bunch of friends from the Cincinnati area. So I was getting it from both sides throughout the course of that matchup, and we all know Jordan Cornette and the roller coaster yeah. he went through. And I was thinking of Christine Lisi as I was watching the Bills. You know, it, it's funny how you find that one friend that you can think of that means something to you yes. and the fandom means something to you. And the whole time you're thinking – God, I just, for you, I just want this to work out. So it was, but Stosh, our producer on this yeah, show. he's had enough. It, I mean, Chiefs fan, right? Diehard. He's so had enough I'm, success. I'm, I'm, yeah, I he was the last enough. person on my mind. <laughs> I have I'm not so had enough. I'm so sorry, because- <laughs> but I love Stosh, and I felt bad for half a second, and then I was like, whatever. He just won one two years ago, and they went last year. Um, let's get a little bit of a recap of what it sounded like as these games were coming down to the final second, every one of them. It's a snap, high snap, placement made, kick, end over end to the uprights, and it is good. The San Francisco 49ers advance. This is the end of the game. With a 13-10 victory over the Green Bay Packers. Mahomes looks to throw it. Pump faking, right side, he wants it, a comeback cut, and it's caught by Kelsey! Touchdown, Kansas City! One of the greatest duos in the history of the National Football League! Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey on a push fade comeback, and the Chiefs have won this incredible divisional playoff game in overtime! The San Francisco 49ers advance. And it is good! Robbie Gold has kicked the 49ers to victory here in Green Bay. Kick. 
It's good. McPherson has sent the Cincinnati Bengals to the AFC Championship game, knocking off the Tennessee Titans. And it is good. The San Francisco 49ers advance. That makes the finality of it all kind of hit you like a ton of bricks. That's why it's a gutting feeling in your stomach. I'm confused, Vince. I don't know how all of those different sound bites about the Packers losing got in there. That must have been an error on the production side. We were supposed to recap the games, but somehow... Uh All of the Packers stuff got in there. You heard WTMJ, 106.5 The Wolf, 104.5 The Zone, KNBR, NBC Universo, and uh, you heard a lot of that oof, which was the Packers radio call on their loss to the Niners. And Fitz, can I just tell you, I'm aware of how pathetic it is as a Bears fan to get this much pleasure from my team not even being involved at all, other than the fact that I wanted Robbie Gold to rip his jersey off and reveal a Bears t-shirt and just be like, it was a long con. I did it for you. (laughs) But, like, we weren't involved at all, and I was celebrating the Niners' victory as if I personally led them to the win on the field. Yeah, I, you know, I walked into the weekend asking a question uh, on one of our digital shows about, you know, villainy and whether or not uh, Tom Brady or uh, Aaron Rodgers at this point was sort of the, the bigger villain to so much of pop culture around the NFL. If Twitter is any indication at all, man, I, there were I don't know who had that like just wait, but they were waiting to go off oh, on yeah. Aaron Rodgers. I oh, mean, yeah. at a much different level. Like we survived the up and down roller coaster of the game for Tom Brady, and I really thought that his deal with the devil was going to come through again, and somehow you know he was going to pull that out. But even afterwards, I didn't see the absolute trolling. Like the trolling no. for hours of of just Aaron, Rodgers Aaron Rodgers was stunning. Which to actually see. reminds me. I really enjoyed that, but I'm a little worried I might have missed some. So go ahead, at Sarah Spain, (laughs) at Spain and Fitz, at Jason Fitz. If there's an Aaron Rodgers or like a Packers losing meme that you think I might have missed, just post it right under. I'm going to tweet right now. You can just post it right under there just in case. I would hate to miss it. For instance, I almost missed somebody reminding me of this sound from Aaron Rodgers two years ago. After the Packers lost to San Francisco in the playoffs on the road in San Francisco. I've said this before, you know, we got to get one of these at home. It's a different ball game. It's different, you know, playing in uh, 20 degree weather and snow, cold and wind is a different uh, type of game than playing. Uh, yeah, it is different, but the results the same. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was different for Jimmy G. No, <laughs> it wait, was it wasn't. I mean, no, le- no like, it was the I, same because they own you. But to to sit here and think that the 49ers won a game where they didn't score an offensive touchdown, like that was the most improbable outcome I could have imagined. Like when you, of all the weirdness of saying, hey, what if I told you Burrow was going to get sacked nine times? No, they're still going to win. What if I told you San Francisco wasn't even going to score offensively? No, they're still going to win. It was, what if I told you that Brady was going to come back from 27 to three and Mm -hmm. lose? Like it was the wildest weekend I've ever seen. What if I told you that when Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Packers, uh, they asked him how disappointed he was that he won't be a 49er, and he said not as disappointed as the 49ers will be that they didn't draft me, and and he's 0-4 against the 49ers in the playoffs? Mm, what if I told you that? I mean, I'm sorry, Green Bay fans, if you're listening, but like this is all I got.
this is all I got. It was really enjoyable <laughs> for me. Like the schadenfreude of it all is just too much for me. Uh, did you know that you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's right. You oh. can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Okay. For now, we will put aside my gloating about the Packers. We got to talk Bills Chiefs. It was an epic game, but of course the finish is all we're talking about today. We'll get to that next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We were just talking about it, and we are kind of curious who you guys think had the biggest onions this weekend. Because there were many onions on display. All of the kickers that finished the games with wins, those, those are up there. Especially... The Bengals kicker saying before he kicked the game-winning field goal, I guess we're going to win this game on a field goal, or I've got to get the exact quote. I guess we're headed to the AFC Championship, there guys. It is. Yeah, thank like, you. Like, that's just onions it's right so there. So good. A rookie. Oh, rookie, a rookie kicker, rookie. yeah. Um, although I'm not going to call him Kick Fearson. I'm just not. Like, no, uh, no, no, at no. one point, whoever was calling that game tried to slip that in there. I was like, no, no, no. Uh, Andy Reid telling, uh, telling Mahomes, if things get grim, you'll be the Grim Reaper fantastic mm. uh there's a lot of onions uh that were on display so you can let us know we'll put it up on on uh, at spain and fitz at sarah spain at jace fitz you can let us know who had the biggest onions uh robbie gold for me of course robbie gold finishing off the packers so good spain and fitz sarah spain jason fitz espn radio espn app sirius xm channel 80 i'm experiencing a victory monday through the transitive property of believing that Robbie Gold is still one of us forever. And therefore, uh, it was like the Bears winning. Because my soul and my heart were winning. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, Training for a Better Life. We'll get to the onions later. But we need to talk about the end of that Chiefs and, and um, Bills game. Because, Fitz, a lot of people are saying, and recency bias is always a factor, that it was the greatest game they've ever seen. And I think when there are four game-winning drives in the last two minutes, it's hard to argue with that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So the problem is we all wanted it to just keep going. We were so enamored with these two quarterbacks doing everything they could. And, and if you think about it, at the end of the game, it wasn't just the back-and-forth scoring and the drama of it all. It was the precision. It was the efficiency. 844 yards between those two quarterbacks without an interception. There were very few drops. There were very few mistakes made. This was a game played with such precision on either side. Now, defensively, there were some lapses. But watching those two battle was so fun that whether it was fair or not to end the way it did, now those are the rules, it was fair, that doesn't mean it was satisfying. And at the end of that game, I found myself arguing the same way I did when the Chiefs were on the wrong side of that several years ago. And every time we've seen an overtime game, game end this way, particularly in the postseason where the team that wins the coin flip is 10-1 and one since the rules were changed. If you are in a postseason overtime game and you start with the ball, you have a 91 or whatever percent uh, likelihood of winning. And to me, it's not satisfying and it's not football. Everyone says, Fitz, you know, defense is a phase of the game. Go out and play defense. But the Chiefs didn't have to play defense in overtime. So to me, it's a faulty representation of what you just watched, which was both teams having the opportunity with special teams, defense, and offense to prove who was better. And then a coin flip decides which phase is going to dictate whether you win or lose. It's not a satisfactory ending. 
the problem for me is I can't find a more satisfactory ending. I have no problem with the overtime rules for, for the NFL, and frankly, I think they're better than college football's overtime rules. And for me, part of the problem is the concept of letting each quarterback get on the field. Eventually, you know, and I've heard people say, well, make sure each gets the ball and then go sudden death. Well, well, why? Like one possession each suddenly is the difference? Now we're going to say, okay, but I mean, do we really believe that if Mahomes scores a touchdown, play this out. Allen scores a touchdown, then Mahomes scores another one. We don't want to see Allen get the chance to answer the next one. So it becomes this never-ending cycle of inevitability that at some point somebody's going to be disappointed by the concept of sudden death unless you add an entire 15-minute period. And if you add an entire 15-minute period, now you get into what I think is, A, a player health and safety issue, depth issue across the board. But what happens when it's tied at the end of that? We're going to just going to keep playing extra periods throughout the course of the playoffs just so- to make sure that... We get I somebody? actually I actually want another quarter in the postseason. And I understand player safety and everything else. We just added a 17th game. Thousand percent on the correct, rare yeah. occasion that this happens, which has been 11 times since they changed the rule a decade or so ago, a little more than a 12 years ago, dozen years ago, if those 11 occasions account for one extra quarter of play, I'm fine with that. And I think the likelihood of another tie is certainly there. But that's not a reason not to make it more fair. You can figure what? out, and I know that the answer is not endless extra sessions. There is at some point going to be an unsatisfactory ending. But I would like for there to be another quarter where all of the same strategy is required, all of the same effort from the defense, the special teams, the offense. And if you run out of time again, at least you had your shot and you were in complete control of what happened. I just think the way it is now just because there isn't the perfect solution. Amina Kimes said something today um, that involved a, a, a specific kind of rule that the Ravens proposed a couple years ago that people are sort of mulling about. Here's what she said about a couple of suggestions to fix it. So a few suggestions that I think would make it more fair. One, in the playoffs only, add an extra period and just play it out. Two, give, give both teams a possession, then go to sudden death. So at least then, you still have an advantage with the second team, but at least then you're giving both teams a shot at it. And three, and this is one of my favorites, spot and choose. So the Ravens suggested this last year. Basically, the way it works is this. The team that wins the coin toss gets the option to either spot the ball, then the other team can decide if they want it, or they can choose to have the ball or not have it, but the other team gets to spot it. Basically, what that does is it gives both teams some element of decision-making rather than leaving the entire thing up to a coin toss. Yeah, and I think that that's it, Fitz, is like I'm not a big proponent of the of the spot and, you know, pick your, whether you're going to play offense or defense. Cause again, I think you then result in, in only one phase of the game deciding it. I think a full quarter is the way to do it. And there still will be some strategy involved based on a flip, but there's enough time in theory. You're not likely going to be able to drain an entire quarter's clock with one drive. You're going to allow for more of the real football to decide a football game. Well, and, and I see that. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I see part of that conversation there that makes sense with the full quarter being added to it. I think one of the things that, for me, and, and you mentioned the rule changed about 12 years ago. It used to, for anyone that doesn't remember, I think it's important context, it used to just be first score one. And so many games were being won by a field goal, and the concept was, well, kickers have gotten so much better, and we saw that over the course of the weekend. So you got to at least make it more difficult than that. And that, to me, still has meaning now because the only way that you don't get back on the field in the, after that first drive is 
if you give up a touchdown. Like, that's the one unforgivable sin in this. Like, you give up a a, a, a field goal, you're still going to get the chance to answer and, frankly, win at that point. Because if you score a touchdown on the, the, open, the ensuing drive, then Mahomes wouldn't have had a chance to answer that. So I think the, the hardest part about all of it is that None of it has a very clean solution. Let's remember, frankly, the opening kickoff could have been returned for a touchdown, and then we wouldn't have seen either quarterback in overtime. So in my mind, because there is no fail-safe solution, this is the best of them. The thought of an extra quarter is a great idea to me, but I just I see this concept of what happens when it goes extra quarter, turns into extra two quarters, turns into now we're delaying the next game because all of a sudden we're waiting for this game to end, and then you've got teams that are going on in the playoffs that played an extra two quarters six days ago. Like All of that seems like it's a scary part of the variable that the NFL doesn't want to have to deal with. Yeah, I just I I think all of this worst case situations you've said are less terrible than what it is now and what we just witnessed. What about Tell what me about you Sarah? did not know who was going to win that game as soon as the coin flip happened. Yeah, Based on you're, you're everything right. we just saw. And tell me you haven't known in in those 10 of 11 playoff circumstances that the team that won the flip was going to I mean, that's the problem is if the NFL continues to change the rules to benefit offenses and to make there be more exciting, thrilling plays on offense, then you can't then decide that a game can be finished by offense versus defense without going the opposite direction because you have made it easier for offenses to succeed. What about a hybrid between the college system and the NFL system? I've never thought about this until just now because in the college system, you get the ball at the 25-yard line. We all know that. What if in the NFL system, you get the ball at your own 25-yard line and you're going to take that, dra- that, that drive and then the other team gets to answer that drive and we keep going back and forth until we have a winner at the end of a, a series of equal drives from both sides? It, it just, again, feels like gimmicks to me. Yeah, I want to see the game that we just watched, just more of it, so somebody wins. Uh, that that's fair. I just again my 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 hard hardship with that is like what happens at the end of that extra quarter. That's my own, but you're it. right. I get I, it. But it's just like the worry about what might happen when we know that what we already have isn't satisfactory is less of a concern to me than continuing with something that is so deeply and clearly flawed. I just don't think it's deeply and clearly flawed. So that's why we are, we disagree mm. on it. Because it has like bothered I, me since I can't even remember how long. I mean, probably 12 years ago. The first I, time I, mean, I saw it and got annoyed by it. And, and it, remember, the tuck rule didn't lose my Raiders the game. They never saw the ball again. That's why they lost it. I'm still again? okay with how it. How did we get here again? I'm still okay Coming with up, it. we're going to talk about the Chiefs in the AFC Championship for a fourth straight season. We'll get a reaction from Kansas City. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I don't know that I've ever been happier about being tagged in something on Twitter than I am with Sarah's decision to allow me to be part of seeing all of the memes about Aaron Rodgers because it is a delight. <laughs> Keep them coming at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And uh, look, we need to get some insight from the ground uh, on what everybody thought in Kansas City as we watched what is arguably now being touted as the greatest playoff game of all time. That's going to happen, but it was a doozy. So we are joined by Seren Petro (laughs) from Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Seren, thanks so much for the time. 13 seconds. What's the most productive thing you've done with 13 seconds today? Yeah, no, I counted to 13 on the air. That's how we opened the show, just to show what 13 <laughs> seconds was. That's about it. That's about all I can get. To. It takes me 13 seconds to get out of a chair these days. I mean, there, there's a joke in there, but it, realistically, with 13 seconds left, what was going through your mind watching this game? 
You know, listen, that the Chiefs had lost, right? Like that's that's I think the mindset that everybody had. Although I, I will harken back, at, you know, when the kickoff went through the end zone, there was a little glimmer of hope because we did watch in 2018. There was 31 or 32 seconds left in the game against the uh, Patriots in the AFC Championship game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had one timeout. And he got the team down, got a field goal, tied it up, sent it to overtime. Of course, that game ended like this one did for the Bills with the Patriots winning the coin toss and going right down and scoring a touchdown. So, you know, there was, there was, there was a little bit of hope when it got to the 13 seconds and Mahomes had the ball uh, when they didn't squib kick it. But, but for the most part, everybody thought, wow, that's it. Uh, amazing game, and, and we're going to end on the wrong side of it. Yeah, I mean, that's what's wild about it is even even at the end of the game, it felt like – the broadcast team thought it was over. Like, they start talking about how tough it's been to get these road playoff wins for the Bills. And I'm like, what are you doing? Mahomes is getting the ball back. Um, at this point, do you look back at the beginning of the season at some of the some of the issues the Chiefs were having? And, and do you think what you I, – I don't know what you were saying about it at the time, but was it valid to have a real concern? Or, or do you look back and think, okay, I, I get what, what the, the kind of – what they were working through to get to this result? You know, I, I think it was valid. I mean, listen, you are what your record says you are, right? Bill Parcells taught us that a long time ago. So they were three and four. And, and I think there was a little bit of a, you know, they, they had their theme last year, the run it back. And, you know, that, that seemed to really, you know, drive them. And they, they played great all year, losing only one game that they actually tried in. Uh, you know, the last one they mailed in when they had everything locked up. And so that seemed to fuel them. This seemed to be on empty, right? There was no slogan. It, it ended so poorly mm-hmm. in the Super Bowl. And I, and I think they were in a little bit of a day. A lot of their mistakes in that three and four start were self-inflicted. They had, you know, Patrick Mahomes at one point had 11 interceptions, and the analytics said seven of the 11 were 75% likely to be caught by his receiver. And they were just balls going off their hands. And, you know, Mahomes had a couple. He had the worst throw. He said it. The worst throw he's ever had was mixed in there, one that he certainly earned the interception. But there were a lot of, like, self-inflicted wounds turnovers that they're just uncharacteristic from an Andy Reid team. So you felt like if they could get that part fixed, they could get back playing. And and that's what they did. That was a big part of it. They quit turning the ball over. You know, they were still getting a lot of yards during those games, but they just couldn't hang on to the ball. Once they got that secured, they were playing a lot better. And then the defense got healthy. They added Melvin Ingram, got Chris Jones back to defensive tackle, and they really took off as a defensive unit. But if there's cause for concern is – you know, they're just not as deep on the defensive side of the ball. And five of their last eight games, they've given up a lot of yards, including yeah. one of those, their, their loss to Cincinnati that took them out of the number one seed coming down the stretch. And, and the Bengals, you know, Jamar Chase had a career day, right? In a short career, he had a career day with 260 yards and touchdowns all over the place. So, you know, th- that would be the cause for concern now that maybe the defense, you know, peaked during the regular season and is now maybe sliding back towards where it was because uh, they certainly made it look easy for Josh Allen to go up and down on the field. Field, uh, on them last night. We're talking to Sarim Petro. You can check him out on Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz. You mentioned the uh, the game last night. It ended up feeling like I was watching a video game instead of a football game. I mean, the offenses were moving at an incredible clip, but it wasn't necessarily the case for the whole game that they were moving the the, the ball like that. What happened in the fourth quarter to that defense? You know, I think, one, both both defenses were worn down. 
you know, I, I do listen. I think it should be pointed out the Bills were the number one scoring defense and the number one yardage defense, while the Chiefs were number eight in in points allowed. They were like twenty six in yards allowed. So teams move the ball pretty frequently on, on the Chiefs defense. They usually are able to limit them to field goals. And I, and I think the loss of Tyron Matthew was it was a big problem for the Chiefs. And and they got beat. They don't get beat for those big plays uh, on a regular basis. At least they haven't since they kind of fixed things uh, after Week Seven when they got beat twenty seven three by the Titans. You know, they kind of taken those big plays away and kind of played back at people the way they had played with them. They, they play the cover two shell defense and, you know, kind of give up yards between the 20s and then tighten up at the goal line. Uh, so that was, you know, a little bit surprising to see it go the way it did. But I think, you know, losing Tyron Matthew early in the game really created some problems. And they don't really have another safety uh, with the athleticism that, that Matthew has, that Juan Thornhill can play. But I think that clearly was a problem. And there were miscommunications and, and they just couldn't handle uh, the, the Bills receivers. And that's a scary thought as you look ahead to the Bengals because clearly Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins is – is a challenge that they struggled to, to meet last time, and, and now they've got to do it again, although this one will at least be an Arrowhead Stadium. Yeah, I mean, I think it was clear by the end that that defensive line was too wiped to keep trying to chase Josh Allen, and that was uh, part of the reason that he had success down the stretch more easily than earlier. You mentioned the defense and whether it peaked. Um, some of those big mistakes, do you attribute them to fatigue or do you think that there are some serious issues, especially if Matthew is out again with communication back in the secondary, especially? Yeah, communication. And, and listen, Dan Sorensen's been a fine player for the Chiefs, and, and he was victimized by the Bills back in week five. And, and that was really kind of the wake-up call to Steve Spagnuolo that he had to get Juan Thornhill out on the field with Tyron Matthew and get more athletic. They also started playing their two second-round linebackers, Nick Bolton and Willie Gaymore. Uh, and so they, they started becoming a, a much – you know, younger and athletic uh, defense. You know, Spagnolo runs a, a pretty complicated defense. He wants to disguise his coverages, so you, you've got to be in it mentally. And, and I think sometimes maybe he can be, you know, uh, fall into a, a trap of, you know, starting the guys who will do the best on the written test and forgetting about the athletic part of the equation. And I think they kind of got that wake-up call early. But now if you start to lose some of those athletic guys along the way, you're going back to guys that aren't as fleet of foot. And everybody's dealing with injuries right now. It's not unique for the Chiefs. And they actually have been one of the more healthier teams. They, they did get most of their guys back and were ready to make a run. But uh, I think we found out Tyron Matthew in, in the midst of a contract season, uh, you know, we, we saw how valuable he is by him not being out there. And so if he isn't able to get through the protocols and, and get back out there, and, you know, I think you you go into it if you're Andy Reid, you have to start thinking, that, all right, this game's going to be played up into the 30s, and the Chiefs might have to start employing the going forward on fourth down and, and the two-point conversions the way everybody's uh, playing at them. Soren, I'm of the opinion that currently Cincinnati's playing with sort of youthful ignorance. They're just having a blast and no pressure. Uh, this is the fourth straight AFC championship game. What's the level of pressure around the organization to get to the Super Bowl again? You know, I don't, I don't feel it. We've only had the one day, right, since they've, they've gotten to this point. But Andy Reid, I thought, was, you know, he can be kind of a I, – I, first of all, I think he's usually exhausted when he meets with the media money because I don't think he goes to bed uh, after Sunday games and he stays up and gets the process going for the next one right away. But he was fairly jovial and, and you know, a little bit more playful in some of his answers than he was before. McCole Hardman was lighthearted and talking about it. Harrison Bucker had no problem discussing his missed field goals and how it was pretty much the same case that he had to make to tie it and you know uh they they seemed you know in pretty good spirit so i don't think they feel the pressure that that may have been last year but i think not being the one seed maybe took it away 
I, I would worry a little bit. I know from a fan base, it, it's on to Los Angeles, right? Like there's a feeling that the, the Bengals are a formality and, and that, the, the you know, is it going to be the Rams or Niners when they get to L.A. to play the Super Bowl? Andy Reid went out of his way to mention the Bengals, talk about the Bengals. He, he wouldn't even, you know, get drawn into any uh, conversation about how good that game was. He said, we don't have time really to evaluate that. Maybe some other time we will, but, you know, we, we've got 12 less hours to pre- pre- uh, prepare for the game than the Bengals do. We, we've got to play catch up. And so they're saying all the right things. Um, we're going to find out. I mean, it is four straight AFC championship games. It's a lot of extra football. And, and a number of their key guys are, are getting into their 30s, right? To, you know, Travis Kelsey's 32. The, you know, there, there's a couple of guys that, you know, you wonder, are they going to be a little bit worn down? But uh, right now they're saying all the right things. I didn't think they sounded tight. Uh, but, you know, you got to go out and, and play the game. And, and the Bengals are a team that can move the football. And as we've said, you know, defensively, uh, the Chiefs have got to come up with hopefully something better than what they did against the Bills, uh, or they'll find themselves in that same game. And while, you know, I think Patrick Mahomes is as good as anybody in the game today at winning those type of games, uh, you know, it's it's one mistake. If the Chiefs botch one play, if Tyreek Hill drops one of the, you know, the ball at the, at the end of the game, or Travis Kelsey drops a touchdown, you know, you don't win that game. And so, You'd like them to be, you know, if you're Andy Reid, a little bit, you know, make sure they're focused so that the game doesn't hinge on having to make every single play the way that game seemed to for, for the, you know, the last 25 points. You guys can check them out on Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. Always appreciate the fact that you come on and give us such great insight from Kansas City. Thanks, Sir We appreciate you. Always my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, they got to be partying in Kansas City. It's just such a special time for Chiefs, uh, the Chiefs fans, Chiefs organization. ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easily, easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your car, home, motorcycle, commercial, auto, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. All right, through all of the weekend and all of the positivity, the results do result yeah i'm gonna say all that again the result leads to one question what's next for a pair of future hall of famers we'll break it down next spain and fitz on espn radio spain and fitz the podcast spain and fitz on espn radio the espn app sirius xm channel 80 sarah spain jason fitz we're presented by progressive insurance We'll get to some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless, first and foremost. Queen, by the way, one of my favorite bands of all time, Sarah. Uh, but I will yeah. also say, based solely on your recommendation, I uh, started the deep dive into the Beatles uh, Get Back documentary. And uh, I, it is one of the most awe-inspiring, stunning things. Yes. I, I didn't really know what it was. Like, I'd heard of it. I didn't understand what it was. I started watching it, and I would say for anybody that's ever been a musician for even two seconds in your life, to see the common themes of what it's like to argue about arrangements (laughs) and writing. And, like, I I just watched – it was such a flashback to different eras and chapters in my life, obviously on a much lower level. But to see that even the Beatles went through the same things in that era that bands still go through today – I heard Queen, it made me think of Beatles, I had to tell you. You right. were spot on with that I mean, that how about Paul McCartney writing what appears to be Get Back in the span of like two to three minutes? I just just sitting there and all of a sudden stomping his like, foot and, and you're just, like... Yeah, I rewound it and it's watched so that cool. like ten times. Yeah. I'm like, every, and and yeah. he's sitting there working on Let It Be, 
playing the piano while everybody around him is having a stupid Just conversation talking. about yeah, management. And he's and I'm writing like, one of the greatest songs of all what time. What are we doing? Oh, <laughs> so man. good. It's so it was, good. I, I, I want to watch more of it. I, I need the football to go away for like one second because that's all I've spent my free time watching. Yeah. And I'm so behind on everything else, including that. I went into it after the Saturday night games to try and like decompress, and I ended up until three up until three in the morning. Well, that's so what that's what happened. I tried to make no plans this weekend, and I forgot that I had already agreed to something Sunday, and then friends asked for dinner Saturday and then brunch. So I started both of the late games on Friday and last night at one in the morning when oh I got home. No spoilers. Oh hadn't looked at my phone for three hours. Didn't want to see any texts. No one was allowed to talk about it in front of me. They were just passing phones back and forth at dinner, making faces. And I'm like, stop it. I don't want to know anything. Oh um, so yeah, I'm a little tired. Well, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. I was already a full cheese pizza in by that time of the night. All right. <laughs> so, you know, all of these outcomes from the weekend raise some questions about what's next for two legends, because Right now, today, according to multiple reports, we don't exactly know what's going to happen with Tom Brady uh, moving forward. And we all know that we have no idea what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. And both of these guys now have to figure out not only where they've been, but where they're going. And it leads to some conversation about what's next, specifically when you look at Rodgers and a question mark. Like, my mind was blown this morning watching Get Up and listening to Ryan Clark say this about Aaron Rodgers. Is he an all of fame guy? Yes. First ballot. Is he an all-time great? Yes. He is one of the best to ever do it. But tell me when, in the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers has elevated the Green Bay Packers. All we talked about for years is the fact that the Green Bay Packers needed to elevate Aaron Rodgers. I get it. Maybe they could have made another pick. Maybe they could have did some other things. They won 13 games the last three seasons in the regular seasons, and they didn't make plays in the playoffs. We crushed Dak Prescott last week because he didn't put enough points on the board. Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be the baddest man in the world, and they scored 10 points mm. at home in an ice fortress that nobody wants to play in. <laughs> yeah. At some point, we got to look at Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I was stunned to hear it, but it, it all makes sense. It does, and I think one of the things that's worked and has been true in some occasions is Rodgers always allowing us to complete this this conversation that he begins, which is the Packers don't do enough. They don't give him enough weapons. The defense lets him down, yada, yada. And because he's so skilled, we really buy into it. But that's not always been the case, and it certainly wasn't this year or in this game. Now, the, the defensive front of the Niners did a ton. The schemes were incredible, both from the D coordinator and from Shanahan. But there were plenty of opportunities for Aaron Rodgers not to keep looking for Devontae, to open it up to his other weapons. And he was so zeroed in on Devontae that he missed wide open Lazard late in the fourth. There were plenty of things that he could have done. Now, this wasn't an, a, a singular failure by him, but what's fascinating to me about how this affects what's next for him, Fitz, is you combine a little bit more doubt than before. Still a Hall of Famer, still incredibly skilled. Anybody would be ready to have him as a football player. But you combine that with now what's happened over the last few months in terms of personality, character, locker room, everything else with the conspiracy theorists and the cancel culture sweatshirt and everything else. You do think that Aaron Rodgers has found a community that has done so much to support him through all of that. And he has done so much for the Packers in terms of winning that they're willing to look past it. But to now show up in a new city where the media, the fans, and everybody else has something to say about you as an individual and as to your choices and lying about the vaccine and everything else, it doesn't feel as celebratory as if it had been last offseason, where if he had landed almost anywhere, 
everyone would have been wild for it. And now there is maybe some niggling in the back of his head that, like, I'm going to have to face some people who don't want me there. Yeah, that's the weirdest, uh, I mean, I think the strangest development, let me say that that way, over what we've seen in the change in the way he's perceived. And that's just part of what's going to come with wherever he goes next. So now, where it felt like a year ago you couldn't ask any scathing questions of Aaron Rodgers because everything was the Packers' fault no matter what, now mm-hmm. you're sitting there saying, oh, oh, oh okay, well, uh, what are we getting and what are we expecting? And, you know, what what should the reasonable expectation be for Aaron? Because it, it felt like just a few weeks ago it was, have the Packers done enough for Aaron Rodgers? And today it feels like it's, has Aaron Rodgers done enough to help himself in these playoff mm-hmm. matchups? And, and, and it's not just him. I mean, uh, Tom Brady, obviously, there are no questions about what's going to happen for his legacy, but there are questions about Tom Brady's future. And, even when he was asked to address it, this is Brady today on Let's Go with Tom Brady on Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio. When you're 44, I guess you get asked about that a lot. And, you know, a lot of people thought I was done playing football in 2015. You know, a lot of people in 2016 said you're done. A lot of people in 2018, after I left the, when I left the Patriots, they said you're done. You I had a boss that- in 2000 who thought you'd never make it so you would be done before you started. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, every year I just have to make sure that I'm, have the ability to commit to what the team really needs. And that's a, that's a really important to me. The team doesn't deserve anything less than my best. And if I feel like I'm not committed to that or I can't play at a championship level, then you got to give someone else a chance to play. You know, we'll see. You know, again, there's a long time between now and the start of next football season. And, you know, I've got to really figure those things out. So, Fitz, what's fascinating to me there is that there is, of course, an uh, option that he is tired or Giselle finally told him, like, that's enough and let's, you know, just enjoy the legacy. There is a a possibility that he looks ahead to a whole other season and his body hurts or he doesn't want to put in the work. But the way he worded that, that does not seem like why it would end for me. And that's why I believe even more that he'll come back. I think if it would end, it would be a concern about who he would be coming back to play for based on free agency cap space the ability to re-sign the pieces to make it another Super Bowl run I don't think he wants to come back unless it's a team that's going to make it all the way and they have I think like 24 free agents to sign unrestricted including some veterans that he needs that stands out to me not him not being willing to put in the work yeah and and the hardest part about all of this is that at his age and everything he's saying is actually to me the right thing it makes sense to say I'm going to step back make sure that my body's good make sure that I can contribute Unfortunately, in today's NFL, so many decisions will be made based on the decision he makes. It makes it difficult to give him whatever time he thinks he may need to figure these things right. out. The Bucks have to basically sit back and hope and pray they can figure out a way to bring back an entire roster around him because certainly he's not hanging out for a rebuild. We know that. But they've also got to figure out how to bring those pieces back with him. That's some straight talk. Straight talk wireless. No contract. No compromise. More on the Allen and Mahomes showdown and a wild playoff weekend. We'll keep breaking it all down for you. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a wild Monday after one of the best football weekends ever. It's ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Yeah, we're complaining about overtime rules. We're second guessing some plays. We'll get to that in a minute here. But we got to sit in the magic of what we got to witness this weekend. Most specifically, 
Mahomes versus Allen. And our next guest wrote a column about just that. Be grateful every time we get Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen in the playoffs for the Ringer. Joining us now, Kevin Clark, Ringer senior writer and uh, on the Ringer NFL show. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, sir. I'm really excited. How about this football? I mean, unbelievable <laughs> that every single game goes to the final play. The storylines, the, the starts and finishes that we may have just witnessed, the opening of windows and the closing of doors. There's so much good stuff yeah. to get to, but I want to start with what we saw last night. Um, if you want to rail, uh, rail against the OT rules, I'm here for it because I disagree. Is there something else from that game that you want to talk about more? Um, I would say let's start on the, the Brady Manning comparisons because I saw a lot of those this morning from a lot of smart people. I don't see it. I don't see 15 years of this because of the way the NFL is set up. And this is what I wrote on the ringer, and I kind of want to expand on it here. Uh, we need to appreciate this every single time. And I think it's unfair to everybody, including Brady and Manning, to say, okay, this what we saw yesterday is going to keep happening until 2036. No. Like, Brady and Manning were special, but also the league has changed so much. And I think you're going to see a little bit more of mini runs. I think you're going to see Mahomes versus Allen like this for three or four more years. But there's such a depth of the quarterback position right now. Look at Joe Burrow. Look at Justin Herbert. Yeah. If those franchises figure out how to build around, I mean, you think about all the contract stuff, you think about hitting on draft picks. I mean, who's to say that Justin Herbert is not in this position next year ruining this party? Or Joe Burrow, if the Bengals make a step forward. I mean, Joe Burrow's playing in the AFC title game this weekend. So Justin I don't Fields. Think it's, it's I mean, just throwing one. out a name. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Justin Fields, once they, they, they nail the GM hire. And, and nail, every and other the part of the team. And, coordinator, <laughs> and, and actually get some talent in there. Yeah. Yes, it, it's going to be great, Sarah. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, so I just think that the league has changed so much since the Brady and Manning era that it's kind of unfair to everybody to say, okay, pencil this in, this until 2036. This was amazing. This was the future of football, which is quarterbacks who were so unstoppable that even great defenses and great defensive players are helpless to stop it. We're going to keep seeing this, but it's not always going to be Mahomes and Allen. So let's stick to one of the other quarterbacks, not named Mahomes or Allen, and, and look at Joe Burrow for a second because – it feels yeah. like a year ago right now we were saying you got to address the offensive line, and instead they went with Jamar Chase, and now they're in the AFC Championship game, even though he almost gets murdered. Is that the new yeah. plan for teams? Like, hey, if my weapons are good enough, my line doesn't matter. Uh, it shouldn't be the new plan. <laughs> Let's get our quarterback <laughs> hurt over and over again. You know, after the game he said he felt great, but we'll see tomorrow. Like, I think he was running on adrenaline during that game, and I bet he was pretty banged up on, on Sunday. Um no, it's, it's not the plan. They've got to fix this. Um, they've had some injuries along the offensive line and all that stuff. But Joe Burrow is, is as, as amazing as anybody in football right now. It, it, the way he's changed that culture, I mean, there are so many teams that take any excuse they can and fold and go 4-13, and 13, get their coach fired and all that stuff. Joe Burrow is not going to do that. There's something special about him to the point that when the Justin Herbert-Joe Burrow debate was reaching in the deer for, for Burrow, probably around October, where everyone says, oh, it's Herbert, it's Herbert, it's Herbert. So many people who have been around Joe Burrow were like, don't, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Joe Burrow is as special as anybody I've ever seen, all that, all that stuff. And the people who were around Joe Burrow saw this coming. And I'm sure Justin Herbert's going to be great at some point. Um, I mean, he already is great, but I'm sure that, that Chargers team will be great. Um, but Joe Burrow is on another planet. And there are a lot of quarterbacks who've never gotten this far with with a franchise who who are allegedly as good as Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is the rarest thing in football. He's a culture changer. It took less than two years because he has that knee injury where he was out for ten months. This is 
this is more than culture changing. This is miracle working, guys. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Kevin Clark, Ringer senior writer, host of the Ringer NFL show. Read his uh, his column that's up now about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Good stuff. And really, it's interesting about the whole uh, system being different now to not set up a Manning versus Brady thing. We talk a lot about the quarterbacks, and it absolutely makes sense. But I'm curious for your take on the Niners, because I, I think mm-hmm. I have this right in saying that Jimmy G is 4-1 and one in the playoffs with two touchdowns and five picks in his postseasons. So it's not just about the quarterback. And he was pretty good minus a couple plays last week, and he was fine <laughs> this weekend. It wasn't really about him. How are yeah. the 49ers doing this when it's not about the position that every other game seems to be dominated by? It's only about Jimmy G when he implodes, right? Yes, and if the other yeah, bad Jimmy. going to take advantage of his implosion, <laughs> right? Um, which might, ha- might happen this weekend. Okay, so... How is it happening? Well, there's two ways to get this far. There's have the elite quarterback and a little bit extra, and then there's have everything else go right. And if you look at SF, it's Kyle Shanahan, it's Mike McDaniel, it's D'Amico Ryans, who's one of the best defensive minds in football, who's already in year one gotten that defense to play elite, elite football, and he should be a head coaching candidate with any opening. And then there's Debo Samuel, there's George Kittle. I mean, everything, Trent Williams, everything has gone right except for the quarterback position, and you can do enough to fake it you you can do enough to bridge that gap everything has to go right and that's why i think it was so tantalized when they made the trey lance pick that hey if this guy can expand the scheme and actually do the things kyle shanahan wants to do this could be unbelievable that's why i think a lot of team people a lot of people inside the league were disappointed that lance never popped this year because they know what this team is capable of and i know that kyle shanahan's been ripped as a personnel guy because he overpays people and you know, he's overpaying a fullback and that kind of thing. There's a method to the madness. He's really, he understands football as well as anybody in the sport. And that's why they're here. Um, the Packers imploded. I mean, they, they, you know, this was an implosion contest and the Packers imploded more than Jimmy Garoppolo on Saturday night. The special teams was awful. Rogers was under pressure all night, but he didn't help himself. Um, you know, there, there's the old line, never interrupt an enemy when he's making a mistake. The, the 49ers <laughs> let the Packers implode. And they're here because of it. So when the quarterback thirsty offseason happens, does Jimmy G have value to somebody else? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, listen, he's not perfect. But if you're a team looking for – I mean, this is a league where Kirk Cousins got a guaranteed – two fully guaranteed contracts over $80 million, okay? That says all you need to know about what competence can, can get you in this league. And I think that knowing what you're doing and having put something on tape can make you a lot, of, a lot of money. So I don't think they're a candidate for, you know, the Steelers are a candidate to bring in a guy like Garoppolo, but maybe, maybe if somebody has an injury, uh, maybe if somebody is, is a quarterback away, yes, Garoppolo is going to have much, much more value than you think. And listen, Carson Wentz went for a first last year, guys. Like Jimmy Garoppolo is better than Carson Wentz. So um, the market for a quarterback who's done it before is much higher than it should be, but it's still a market. Kevin Clark, the Ringer senior writer, Ringer NFL show. 30 seconds or less, what's the biggest fallout of what we saw this weekend, positive or negative? I guess fallout implies negative, so we'll stick with that. (laughs) Well, the Packers, it sounds like Aaron Rodgers does not want to be a part of a rebuild, and this really was the last dance. And I think that um, I don't know where he goes from here, but this is is the first time in 12 years there's been no Brady and no Rodgers in conference championship game weekend. So I, I think the Packers, uh, they probably should have won that game because this run looks over. Oh, boy. Woo. Hey, awesome stuff, Kevin. Thanks so much for the insight.
Thanks, Kevin. Anytime, guys. Kevin Clark, go find his work on The Ringer with us here on Spain and Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget to tune in to the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters. Presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily. Available wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Coming up, we're going to second-guess decisions we saw over the weekend. It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on a Monday after a, I was going to say orgasmic, I guess, you know, utopian, Nirvana-esque football weekend. Yeah, I did actually say on TV today that I simultaneously wanted to puke on behalf of Bills fans and have like a postcoital cigarette. I've never actually smoked a cigarette in my life. It just felt like metaphorically that was the right response to the end of that game. Uh, just an unbelievably crazy weekend of NFL football. And, you know, we've done some celebrating of it. So now we get to move on to the second guessing. Instead of celebrating those who did well, let's ask some questions about the folks who failed and let us down. And we're going to start with the squib kick conversation. Fitz, so many wondering why um, the Bills elected to kick into the end zone um, with 13 seconds remaining. Josh Allen had just for the second time in under two minutes executed a perfect game-winning drive. Mahomes had 13 seconds. The question is, do you, first of all, you're, you're definitely not kicking to Tyreek. Right, A regular kick is not an option. So either you kick into the end zone, you give them 13 seconds, or you do some sort of squib kick, hope to take a couple seconds off the clock and leave them with somewhere between 8 to 10 seconds. I understand why people are asking about it, Fitz, but I think they're playing the results a bit because if you squib kick and they get possession even 15 yards further up and they have the opportunity to score a touchdown instead of just getting close enough for a field goal, game over, you lost, it's not overtime even. Yeah, I, I, it's a really good point by you. I think the, the concept of trying to get time off the clock forgets that all that they needed in that situation was a field goal, you know, and, and you do have a full uh, full use of all your timeouts. That was one of the other big differences. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we've made a lot of jokes about what the Cowboys couldn't do in their final seconds and what the Chiefs could, but the Chiefs had timeouts to work with. So if you're suddenly saying, okay, you've got one of the better kickers typically, usually, and not having the best night, but you have one of the better kickers in the NFL, and suddenly you want to give that that team better field position, I think that's a little bit of a, a curiosity. I had more of an issue with what they did after the squib kick in the way that they essentially – uh, they they half blitzed, half didn't blitz. They sent four. They didn't put enough people back. I mean, they were breaking it down on the broadcast repeatedly. But you let Kelsey get that wide open, and it just you have to look at it and say, what was the coverage? Like, what are we what are we doing here? The the number of of mistakes made in coverage, I think, is a bigger deal than the squib. Yeah, uh, I completely agree, and I think. The issue there, though, is also playing the result. I mean, you heard Tony Romo talking about it on the broadcast. He said, I don't know why you're sending so many. You know Mahomes has to get that ball off fast. So, you know, you you need to drop those guys back into coverage. I agree with that, but I think we say that because Mahomes was able to effectively find Kelsey despite that pressure. If in the moment you're thinking, let's rush the hell out of him, make him uncomfortable so he can't find anyone – that's a decent strategy, too. I mean, I think uh, no matter what, the, leaving Kelsey open like that across the middle, especially when he'd been a safety valve for the whole game, was problematic. But I don't know that that was the coverage they called for, right? I think that was an error. I didn't mind that they tried to press Holmes at Mahomes and see if they could make him make a mistake. 
Yeah, I think part of that, too, we always have to remember is that how often do any of us sitting as fans say, why are you playing a prevent defense? And then all of a sudden, when somebody gets burned, it's like, well, why weren't you sitting back further? This is a lose-lose for everybody involved. The reality of it is you never think a coach, a team is going to go that far in 13 seconds. You just don't think it's even humanly possible. But they did it and made it look easy. So now, to your point, we're second-guessing every one of their decisions. Yeah, and we're going to do that. Uh, that's what this whole segment is about. We're calling it second guessing. I think on both of those, are you with me that I could see absolutely the argument? I could see going the other way, but I don't think either was egregious. Yeah, I, I would agree with all of that. It's a little like a choose your own adventure book, like from when I was kids. Right, and it was yes. Like, go left and turn page 32. Like, we don't have the benefit of knowing what a squib kick would have meant to field position or yes. how that would have dialed up. So I, I'm with you on that. I, I think I understand the questioning of it, but I also understand why the where the philosophy came from. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Choose your own adventure were the best. There was one like very haunting one though, where it was like a hall of mirrors or like a, a you know that you'd go to like a fest a fair like a state fair and and it was like the haunted house hall of mirrors. And every time I would just pick the one that like you died and it still haunts me. <laughs> I was like, there's too many endings in this one where you're just dead. Um, speaking of dead, the Rams almost were in that game because they almost blew a massive lead and they were about to be the next Falcons, twenty eight to three. It was very very close so let's second guess the Rams approach to the second half they even talked about it on the broadcast getting conservative too early running the football not going for the kill shots do you question how the Rams I mean clearly again we're playing the result of you almost blew it but do you think it was the strategy that got them there or was it mistakes I I think it you've got to if you're the Rams you've got to be true to who you are and what's working in that football game and they were just they were punching every possible way and the Bucks didn't have an answer for any of it and then all of a sudden they sort of shut it down and how many times have we seen this where you sort of shut it down you start running you know that you're not getting the first downs you think you're just going to limit the other side of it I, I think they made it very tricky to me you stay aggressive not just because it's your identity but also because it was working they had no answer for Cooper Cup so often in this Mm -hmm. game I don't understand why you're taking at the end of the game in a playoff game I want the ball not just in my quarterback stance but I want my best playmakers to be able to make my best plays the Rams took that away by changing their philosophy and the way they were calling the game to try and go conservative for the last six minutes they're lucky it didn't bite him in the ass yeah, I mean, I think if you look at it, you can say fairly and accurately that the Buccaneers lost because they weren't as good of a football team. They were not peaking at the right time. The injuries killed that offensive line. Brady was pressured more than anybody has pressured him this season, and it was very clear to see that he you know, had an interception, had a sack fumble, he had 24 incompletions, a passer rating that was below 60 for most of the game, got up to 72-plus by the end because of a couple of those mistakes and them letting him back in it. But he was taken out of this game by the excellent play of the Rams' defensive line, and the Bucks just weren't as good of a team. They didn't have the weapons offensively that the Rams do, and, and offensive line-wise, they were hobbled. So you could understand in the end why the Bucks didn't get the W. If the Rams had given this up, it would have been because of the errors that they kept making. They are, they are really lucky to survive Cup's error. They are really lucky to survive the fumbles. And the good thing I could say about them, uh, uh, understanding that their strategy was terrible, was at least they didn't fold as the pressure mounted. They didn't do the Falcons thing of just throwing it all away. Uh, they managed to fight back after they started to let the Bucks in. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. And by the way, I think that's one of the – 
the the crowning moments of this game because we're so used to seeing you know the the Tom Brady rise right like he just finds a way to rise through anything and yep. how many of us thought that that's what's happening oh, for yeah. that rise to happen and then for him to lose was almost the most human moment you could possibly imagine for somebody that we've just taken for granted at times seems superhuman in the way he wins games I thought it was really that was the big kick in the no-no places if you're a Brady fan or if you're a Bucks fan is that you're used to seeing it work out Tom's way every time the fact that right. they got so close and it didn't is a real kick. Regardless of who else he has around him, he's got that LeBron effect of, you mm -hmm. know, making it work. And on the opposite side, you have Stafford, who did a lot to shut people up about his play because he had that stretch during the season where he's making bad plays, making mistakes, really hamstringing his team. And a lot of people had forgotten that Matt Stafford, since he came into the league in 2009, has the most fourth quarter comebacks of anybody. He is a guy who has actually been incredibly clutch. 43 winning drives in the fourth quarter or overtime, including yesterday. Or was it the day before? I literally can't remember when any of these games happened except for last night. But the point is that Matt Stafford has been a guy who has been consistently clutch, but because he was on the lines and because with the playoff lines, they never got it going. He really needed this to shut some people down. Yeah. And I think the Rams needed this to really show everybody, Hey, this mm -hmm. is the version of the Rams. We thought we were going to get all year and they are playing like the Rams. We think they are on paper. I mean, it's a, they're not just a paper champion right now. They're putting it together in a way that you look at it and say, okay, I understand what you were going all in for. This is this is that moment where yeah. McVay, the Rams, everybody can shut up all of the haters. I agree with you, and I also thought that there was a lot of recency bias in the people being so high on the Rams after a couple good games, and now I think it's instead them peaking at the right time. They've put enough of them together that I think this is who they are now and not just um, a swing to one side with a, with a readying to swing back the other way. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jace Fitz. We didn't even get to second guess Aaron Rodgers zeroing in on, on Adams, but uh, Can we do no worries. We'll get, we'll get back to Aaron Rodgers. Don't you worry. Coming up, we got to do a little good take, hot take, all the bloviating gas bags from around the industry next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. You could say big. All you got to do is bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. This is where we get to have a little bit of fun. Uh, there are so many people that do great work all across the media landscape, particularly in our network, and they do a great job on Mondays of giving us plenty to react to. We do it this way every single week when we break down some good takes and hot takes. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes? Hot takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. But that's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. All right, so this is what we like to do. We like to give you some of the takes today, and then we'll rate them. We'll decide if they are good or they are hot. Now, we're going to start with one, Sarah, that makes me a little nervous. Let me be very, very clear here. Lewis Riddick, you never know. I mean, incredibly talented guy, and uh, you never know. He could end up being the GM, we'll say, of my favorite team. So i got to be careful how I answer this because, you know, it could affect my <laughs> future of free swag. But let's start with a little bit of Lewis Riddick, ESPN Monday Night Football analyst on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max when he talked about defense in the NFL. What I came away from that game think thinking was this, more so than anything. Defensive football in the NFL is awful. The worst. It is flat out awful. It is flat out awful. 
in many respects because I'll tell you what, there's a reason why Tom Brady is playing or why he wants to keep playing or why he continues to keep playing. And I'm not saying it's, it isn't because Tom hasn't played great football his entire career because he has. But he started off his career playing at a time when defenses actually challenged people. And I know people are going to say, well, they legislated physicality out of the game. You can't do this. BS. Okay, there's some things that they've taken away from defenses, but there's still enough tools for you to be able to play better defense than what you saw in critical moments yesterday in that game. All right, what do you think, Sarah? I think it's a hot take. Uh, on the one hand, obviously the NFL has been doing its best to make offenses better and and allow them to thrive with some of the rule changes. But I also think if you look at a game, for instance, like the Niners-Packers, that game was dominated by the Niners' defense preventing one of the best quarterbacks ever from doing what he wanted to do. I think you look at um, the Rams-Bucks, the Rams – ability to pressure Tom Brady into one of his worst outings that we've ever seen in the postseason. Those are not for nothing. And maybe if you watch Bills and Chiefs, you would, you know, finish off your weekend's supper of games thinking the defenses weren't great. But I think there were plenty of moments throughout that proved that there's still a lot of dominance on that side of the ball. Yeah, and, and let's be real. It was the last six, seven, or ten minutes of that game, let's say, that really everything got out of hand defensively. But I also keep thinking about the nine sacks the Titans got on the Bengals and the three turnovers the Bengals forced on the Titans. Like, we saw key defense being important throughout. Now, maybe defense looks a little different than it did, but I don't think it's bad necessarily across the board. I think it's become more opportunistic and about big plays, much like offense. So, to yeah. me... This is a hot take. Sorry, Lewis. I will say though, Lewis Riddick knows more about me than I about football than I ever will. So maybe he's oh, seeing things that I am not, and that is leading him to feel this way. But I think it's also hard to compare uh, now to another time when rule changes and, and everything else have come ha, have come to pass. You gotta admit, he'd look good in like a fire like Raiders outfit. Oh, always well, dressed to the nines. Uh, keeping with Lewis. Uh, well, I mean, keeping with Lewis, <laughs> this is what he had to say on Matt Stafford in the fourth quarter, again on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Matt has been doing that in fourth quarters his entire career. Yep. He's been doing that. He's one of those guys who has that in him. He has that kind of DNA. But what he did yesterday is, what, is that he shut up a lot of the people who said, you know, when they, when they need him the most to make the big, thread, the big play the most, he can't do it. He shut up a lot of people until next week. Now he needs to slay the San Francisco 49ers, who, quite honestly, have owned this football team over the past six matchups. He needs to do it then, too. <laughs> I do like how he, he couched it by saying, until next week, because there are people who are still going to show up with that same take. I think it's a good take, Fitz, because of what I said in the last segment. We actually know that Matt Stafford has more fourth quarter and overtime comebacks since he entered the league than anybody. He has been incredibly clutch. He was just part of the Lions team, and he was on a very, very focused upon Rams team that has a very open window right now and spent a ton of money to bring him in. So the comparisons to Goff were going to be there. The questions about whether he was helping or hurting the team were going to be there. And he tied for the lead at interceptions this season. So it's not a storyline that's coming out of nothing. Um, I do think this was a big deal, not just not turning the ball over, but the onions and somebody did submit him uh, as part of the onions question we put up on Twitter of who had the biggest onions, um, the onions of going for it on some of those plays late instead of, uh, you know, dinking and dunking. So uh, I think he did do a lot for his legacy. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is a good take, and uh, this is sort of what we hoped we would get. And I, I realize I'm going to correct myself on something I've been saying, and I said it earlier even in the show. Like, this is what we expected. Well, 
I don't think we knew what to expect. We just knew that smart football minds kept telling us Stafford was not the problem that the Lions were. And now you see him come into a new offense that's complicated and you expect immediate results. I don't know that we got that. And there are some concepts that maybe he beat up on bad teams. The Rams beat up on bad teams as they won their way there. But that's not who the Rams are right now. And what we're seeing is Matt Stafford taking full advantage of having great weapons around him, which is also part of a quarterback's job. I mean, I think the way he's moving the ball around, the way he's pushing the ball downfield, the aggressiveness, and also the ability to handle the pressure cooker that is everything that comes with that move, I think this is a huge moment for his legacy. As we continue to break down the takes, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we could take hot take one of our best takers, let's say that, uh, has mm-hmm. some of the best takery, uh, is Bart Scott from Barton Hahn. And he had plenty to say about the Bills when he said this. This was the time. This kid did everything that he was supposed to do. And he was let down by his coaching staff in the most pivotal moments of the game. Why, Bart? Why? You talk about what they did on offense. Brian Dayball did everything right. Yes, he did. But McDermott, the special team coach, and Leslie Frazier choked. Mm. Mm, uh, what do you think? Go, go for it. I mean, I'm going to say that this is a hot take. And it comes down to two, two things. One, as we talked about earlier, I think we have a little bit of the benefit of seeing the result first as we figure out whether or not the strategy worked. But the other part of it is players still got to make plays, right? Like, I mean, there is some element of all of this that you let guys get open. However it happened, it still happened. I think it's really weird to me. Uh, and, and I understand Bart being a former player, always going to think from a player's mindset. But Man, it feels to me like that's putting a lot of blame on the coaches and none on the players that were on the field to execute those plays as they were called. I'm going to say this is a warm take, which is totally cheating, but uh-huh. here's my problem. I agree no, with you. The awesome. players do have to execute. But also, when have you ever seen the length of the field four times in two minutes, right? Like, they were exhausted The Chiefs defense was exhausted. The Bills defense was exhausted. It's really actually hard to tell in some of these cases what was called, what they ran. I mean, I agree you could talk about kicking the ball out of the end zone. I don't think that's choking because I think there was a real opportunity for the opposite decision to burn them even more. I think the the pressure on Mahomes instead of dropping back to cover Kelsey was questionable, but we're playing the result again. Tyreek Hill is an alien. I I don't know if the coaches could have coached differently for him to not be able to beat a bunch of tired defensive players with his legs. So there were moments that I think there was an errant timeout that I thought was strange for McDermott to use. Um, There were moments that I think could have gone differently, but unless I'm in that huddle and unless I know the plays, it's difficult for me to say they were bad calls and that there was choking involved as opposed to an exhausted defense dealing with an offense that, like the Bills offense, was absolutely as close to precise and perfect as it could have been pretty much. All right, let's get one more in here. Mike Gola Jr. making the rare appearance on Good Take Hot Take. This is Mike on Joe Burrow. I know we just talked about Josh Allen being in that top three going into next year. You got my word. If Joe Burrow pulls this off, he's top two, and he might not be two walking into next season Mm. because doing it essentially without an offensive line would be one of the most impressive things I have ever seen on a football And doing it in Cincinnati, too. What do you think, Fitz? Oh, that's a hot take. That's a hot take, Mike. I mean, (laughs) uh, look, I'm as big a fan of Burrow as anybody have been since he came out. It's great. Joe Burrow can be awesome. 
But the body of work we're seeing right now should not outweigh the body of work we've seen from, I don't know, Allen this year, the body of work we've seen from Mahomes over the course of several years. This is what we do with every quarterback. They get a run, and all of a sudden it's like, this guy is the man. We were doing it with Justin Herbert a year ago. Calm down. We've got plenty proof of concept from Allen and Mahomes that right now they deserve to be at a different tier than Burrow today. I agree with you. It's a hot take. Now, I will say it was incredibly impressive what we saw him do to keep taking those hits and pop back up, to not be afraid to go for it, even though he knew he was going to take those hits. Uh, I'm so impressed. I'm so excited about the future for him. I'm excited for Bengals fans. The turnaround in such a short amount of time, even with the injury, has been incredible. But I don't know how you can watch what we saw between Mahomes and Josh Allen last night and then think that anybody else was worthy of, of, of the biggest accolades. That was some good take, hot take. Uh, we do this every week, uh, and, you know, it feels good to get some new people in. Lewis and Mike, I'm scared of all of them, though. They can all kick my ass. <laughs> all right, coming up, it's time to pay off the onions. That's right. It'll make sense, I promise. Plus, what Saturday's loss means for Aaron Rodgers' legacy. We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We'll get to Aaron Rodgers' legacy in just a minute. But, Sarah, as we were coming back, they were yelling in our ears, we have to get back on air. But you were busy reading a, a tweet from Gronk. What yeah. has Gronk told the world? Well, about 40 minutes ago, he tweeted, Year 11 in the books. What a ride it's been. Grateful to the Bucks for giving me an opportunity to play another year. To my teammates, thank you for giving everything you had. The sweat we shed and the memories we made will never be forgotten. Thanks to the hashtag crew, too. Year 12, question mark, question mark, question mark, I emoji, to which TB12 Sports replied, you know how we feel about the number 12 eyes emoji. Oh. Now, that's not Tom Brady's account. That is TB12 Sports account. But it uh, would be an interesting thing to post if he was certain that he was leaving. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is what we're going to be doing for the next however long it takes. And I will remind everybody uh, when we get to these quarterback conversations to remember while you're sitting here looking at what your team's going to do, there are no easy answers. So if you're the Bucks. You are in absolute panic mode because there are only a few quarterbacks out there that are worth it, and there are tons of teams in the market for them right now. And again, there's not a surefire thing in the draft. I'm just saying uh, there's, there isn't that I'm just going to trade up and take a Trevor Lawrence or a Joe Burrow or a Josh Allen. Like right now, most draft experts would tell you they don't see that guy in this draft. So in fairness, most people didn't think Josh Allen would turn out to be this way either. So you never know. But uh, right now, there's not a sure thing. Spain and Fitz, mm-hmm. there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, a lot of it comes back to Aaron Rodgers. And when you talk about Aaron Rodgers and what's next, I think we also have to re-examine Aaron Rodgers and what's been. And Sarah, uh, this uh, earlier was Chris Canty on Canty and Golick Jr. saying some pretty incredible things about what he thinks for Aaron Rodgers' legacy. Let's not let Aaron Rodgers' offseason in 2022 mask the fact that he came up massively short in a spot where he was supposed to deliver. He's going up against Jimmy Garoppolo, a quarterback who, from the account of the 49ers brass, isn't good enough to win you the big game, and he lost at home in snowy conditions at Lambeau Field. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me that Aaron Rodgers would automatically just jump to that part because when you look at this Green Bay Packers team, It's a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense. And that defense, by the way, only gave up a grand total of six points to the Mm. 49ers offense. The touchdown that was scored was off of a blocked punt. So Aaron Rodgers is out of excuses as to why he can't come up with wins in big spots, especially at home. He's two and three over the last three postseasons. That's just not good enough in terms of 
the expectation that we have for Aaron Rodgers being able to deliver. He's got to come through in those types of spots. And the fact that he had a 19.4 QBR going up against what a lot of people would say was the weakest quarterback in the playoff field, I I just don't know how we start to look at Aaron Rodgers as one of those quarterbacks that belongs in that GOAT conversation when we talk about Tom Brady, when we talk about Joe Montana, Peyton Manning, and John Elway. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers' resume dictates that he belongs in that kind of company, and the performance that he had Saturday night makes me feel justified in having that opinion. Fitz, I think I know why we say it, and it's raw talent and skill. Some of the stuff we've seen him do, we've said it before, so few people could pull that off. The Hail Marys, the pocket scrambles, the arm strength, the intelligence, all of it. There is so much about his career that has made him a sure Hall of Famer and has put him in those conversations despite the results not being there. But I think, like I said before, if you get really caught up in Throughout his career, the Packers have just never done enough for him. While ignoring that there are plenty of other teams who have had great success without a lot, I think you let him off the hook. Nick Foles and Aaron Rodgers have the same number of Super Bowl victories, Super Bowl MVPs, and NFC Championship wins. Rex Mm. Grossman and Aaron Rodgers have the same number of NFC Championship wins. It's not just a quarterback thing. There are teams around them that are always providing context. But I do think that Aaron Rodgers this year – with a combination of how he played and a lot of other things has made people think a lot harder about what his legacy looks like as a football player and a person. Right or wrong, likability often affords people benefit of the doubt, whether it's a coach or a quarterback or a player at any position. And some people seem to have that benefit of the doubt simply because of the way they handle the media. Some people handle that, have that benefit of the doubt because they're affable and it seems like you want to hang out with them. Uh, we forgive in a much different world. We forgive Jimmy Fallon for breaking in every skit he was ever on in SNL right. because he just seems like the kind of guy you'd want to hang out with. For the longest time, it felt like because Aaron Rodgers had this tremendous likability that as a direct result of that, it was easy to look at it and say, look at all the ways the Packers have failed him. What is sort of interesting to me is that now when it's much more polarizing to even discuss Aaron Rodgers, now all of a sudden it becomes much more difficult. And we see this with coaches all the time. Like you can be Belichick and be gruff and be difficult to sort of talk to because you're Belichick. You can't be that when you're a coach that stinks or when a coach that has issues. So at some point, if you're Rodgers, the other things, the things that aren't even happening on the field, change the way you're perceived by the people that cover you. That is going to change the way that you're covered, which changes some of the narrative around you and the questions that are going to be asked. It, that's the interesting shift that we are seeing radically quickly happen when it comes to the conversation around Aaron Rodgers. Well, and it's interesting, too, that you know Tom Brady joined a really good team in the Bucks, but Tom Brady still joined a team, and in his very first year with them, he won the Super Bowl after everybody said so much of his success was about Belichick, right? And Aaron Rodgers at every turn is, oh, it's his coaches, it's the defense, it's the weapons he has, it's the whatever. Um, Tom Brady is so far and away better, but at one point there was truly a conversation of, but is Aaron Rodgers a better quarterback just in a worse situation? Um, and I think, you know, that, that, that kind of praise, at least for a little bit, isn't going to be there based on what we saw. And again, it's a, it's a team situation, but he did not do the things you would expect from someone with his talent, even despite the obstacles presented by the 49ers and the scheme and everything else. Well, and there is this other element. And to be fair, this is a conversation I've been having for, I think, for a minute here 
when it comes to Aaron Rodgers, and that is that he is 38. And I know mm-hmm. that we're watching Tom Brady play till he's 44, and it's no big deal. But that is not normal. So every team that's looking to acquire Aaron Rodgers is going to have to be looking at the fact that when they acquire him, if they're t- to trade for him this year, they'll have one guaranteed year and one voidable year left on his contract. A, a lot of money to pay out to a 38-year-old quarterback that's coming off of a playoff game that was in some ways a bit of a head-scratcher, right? So like now you're asking all of these questions. Like Your roster better be built to win right now if you think you're going to go out and acquire Aaron Rodgers because you don't have two years to build around him. He'll be 40 at that point. It, like We're seeing unprecedented success at an uncommon age for Tom Brady. That doesn't necessarily mean if I ran a football team that I would apply that to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, do we know whether he eats nightshades or avocado ice cream? Do we know how he's treating his body uh, other than the ivermectin? Uh, do we know, you know, what he's putting in there? And is he a guy that uh, has kept himself together the same way? He certainly looks a little older than he used to, um, but just, you know, presenting a polished figure and and visage is not clearly what matters to longevity. Um, I do think you're right, though, that we've sort of looked around and thought – a whole lot of these other guys nearing 40 or just past are going to try to do the same thing, and it's just not as simple as saying so. Uh, Brady is the anomaly for a reason and continues to just shock everyone. Well, and look no further than Roethlisberger. You could see the decline, right. and it was quick. Uh, look at Drew Brees at the end of his career. Everybody could see the declines. Like uh, you know, those th- That has to be in the back of uh, organizations' minds as they try and figure out what the future is for Aaron Rodgers. And the fact is, as the, you made the point earlier, the questions about Aaron are not going to go away for whoever acquires him. But Aaron's going to be on with Freddie and Fitzsimmons. So is wow. Brady. They Great got guy. Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady Together. both. Thanks for hanging out for Spanish Fitz. Fitz, check out Freddie and Fitzsimmons. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.